the high school transcript will become a wallet of NFTs. And we will crowdsource the creation of credits to podcasters, to universities. Anybody who wants to design a credit will be able to design their own credit and will get some really innovative credits. Hey, I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Nadav Samir. Nadav promises to end standardized testing in New York City high schools by 2040 by launching an open source blockchain ledger of gold standard high school credits. Hi, Nadav. Thank you so much for joining me on the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. I appreciate you taking that time out uh, to speak with me today. And I'm excited to learn more about what you're doing uh, in the education world with crypto. Yeah, looking forward to the chat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, of course, I know there's a lot of crypto talk we can go through, but you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what you were doing before even hearing about Bitcoin and and um, how you even like got to this space. So before you even heard about Bitcoin, like where were you in life and what were you doing? Uh, so before crypto, I was a software, I got a degree in physics out mm-hmm. of college uh, and I did electrical engineering and physics. Nice. Um, and I uh, got a job at Netscape. I was actually paid by Digital Equipment Corporation, which doesn't exist anymore. Other does Netscape. Um, but that was <laughs> finding the valley during the yeah right, um, yeah during. So I was I was right. So in tech during the dot com boom, and during that time, I started a nonprofit with some friends called Sound of Mind. We saw that uh, media technology was the, was starting to lower the bar so that more people could produce radio quality pieces mm-hmm. at the time the internet couldn't handle audio yet so we would collect our we would make these cd magazines um and it slowly evolved into what became podcasting okay um and in t- so we were de- we, i was always interested in open source and decentralization and so we were looking at decentralizing media production um kind of letting anybody with a um, some basic cheap equipment, be a reporter and, and go tell stories that are kind of hyper local and important in their community. Gotcha. And that um, I became a high school teacher, a physics teacher, a robotics coach, and I kept using media in my classroom. So doing podcasting in my classroom. And then as a high school principal, we turned around a failing high school using media, having the kids make uh, videos and podcasts. So I was always, again, looking at decentralization, looking at media, um, and I knew about, so that's what that's that's what I was doing before yeah. Bitcoin. It was very similar to kind of in in the same space and same technology that crypto. And and I had friends in cryptography and so uh, yeah, so kind of in the space. So you were always in the tech space, tech field. Like that was always your thing. Like I mean, I also studied electrical yeah. engineering, so that was also like something I love to do. I just anything new, anything related that's like uh, any new gadget that comes out, I want to learn all about it. I want to figure it out, understand yeah. it, and tinker with it. Um, but when you first heard about Bitcoin, was it like some friend that said, "Hey"? Hey, this is obvious. This is what you have to look at. So we have to see Bitcoin's going to become the future, no doubt. Like, look at it, believe me, or were you kind of like skeptical? Like, ah, this is yeah, some some jargon. Uh, who cares? Yeah, right. So I was, um, you know, I was even skeptical of Unix, Linux at first, not Unix, Linux at first, oh, yeah. um, kind of open source operating. Then it started taking over the world. So I knew something was happening, and I heard, I you know, Bitcoin came across my emails with my tech friends mentioning it. But at the time, right after that financial crisis, I was in the process of uh, we just adopted a daughter. We just bought a house. I just took over a failing school. Like my plate was full. So I just was like, yeah, don't, I'm not, I don't have time for that. Crap. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, that was my re- re- response to Bitcoin when I first saw it. Um, yeah. It's... Yeah. And I, and then my life stayed busy for a few years after that. So then that's, I mean, that's amazing that you're always like, you know, it's good to hear that you're putting education in school uh, first. I mean, it's obviously the most <laughs> important thing, helping out uh, students learn because yeah, 
school wasn't easy for me either. Like high school, college, like I was never an A plus student. I had a hard time learning. In fact, I saw kids yeah. who would pick up things much faster than me. And I'm like struggling, studying twice as much, but getting half the grade. Um, That's me. <laughs> and it's, yeah, and it's not easy. So, so what, I still can't read. I, I, I have trouble reading. That's why I went into electrical, you know, into computer science. There's not much reading in math and science. <laughs> yeah. But grammar is hard for me too. Like I, I have a hard time reading a book too. Yeah. I just like, I have to really, I, I feel like I have to focus more, but but some people look at me like, wow, you really understand tech way better than I do. So that kind of makes me feel better. But right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. What, what made you uh, tip over to the point where, OK, this cryptocurrency does have something has a future coming to it. So I had a background of relatedness with I was kind of interested in, in decentralization as a trend and open source as a trend. It was something I was very interested in. I was also I owned a business between the time that I was a software engineer and a teacher. Um, and and kind of trying to make my business survive, I took some executive leadership training. Mm -hmm. um, and in that training, we were taught about being a learner that, you know, how a baby learns they get like this, they get addicted to it. Yeah. And you literally have this dopamine opioid cycle in the brain that you get these opioid, you know, like you get high <laughs> off learning new things. That's how babies keep getting driven to learn more. And that's what I learned in going to business. And then going into education, I found that the experience of being a learner, education was so structured and compliance driven that that experience, the experiential being a learner, the ontological being of a learner wasn't um, emphasized. Actually, the opposite was emphasized. So there was also this tension forming between education and business. And I felt like there was somewhere they were colliding. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing the technology come together where um, media, because I use a lot of media in my classroom, in my physics classroom. And when I turned around the failing school, we did it using videos and podcasts. Um, so I saw that media and education were merging, kind of the new literacy was media. Um, and so I saw kind of technology and education. I saw something with like these two trains were coming at me, knowing software and knowing business and then knowing education. I saw something converging that business people were interested in learning. All and the dots educators are connecting. Were, yeah, right. So these dots were connecting exactly. And then in 2017, I got some time. I spent uh, a, a little less than a year in Japan uh, with my wife. My wife is Japanese. And mm -hmm. we, we took some time away from um, the department, took me away from the school that I had transformed, that I turned around. Um, and so I had this downtime. And so I got back into my tech stuff thinking I would take a break from education. And I first thing I studied was Bitcoin. And um, yeah. frankly, right after I studied, I went to my wife and I said, I'm mortgaging the house and putting everything in Bitcoin. Uh -huh. um, nice. And Good call. yeah, so we made that. Hindsight. We, we took, yeah, took, took some time uh, to get the mortgage. And then as quickly as we could, we aped in. Um, and so um, and then I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and ended up writing a book. Um, and there's an audio book and regular book, right? Education, the age, how we get there. So what happened is going into Bitcoin, I ended up back at education, which is not I did not expect the wormhole to come out <laughs> of education. Full circle. And the reason is that if Bitcoin is a ledger of accounts, mm -hmm. I'm a high school principal. A high school transcript is a ledger of accounts. Yep. And I couldn't help but see that. So I started talking to my buddies that. All right. And I said, what if, you know, what, what does that mean? What is there a correlation? We just started kind of digging into it and it led to now we have an app coming out and I'll, you know, we'll, we'll share more about that. So yep. the convergence, it was, it was things that momentum that had been building in my life since 1999, I'd been doing media and podcasting and video in my classroom since, you know, 2003, but really since 99, since that nonprofit. Um, and so that convergence, Bitcoin was just the confirmation that what I was, it was the first time the things that I thought would be great if they happened. Now here was something that was actually working and happening. Um, and it blew my mind. I, I would have never believed that something like Bitcoin was possible. And here it was happening. So what, but how would, um, how would you have used Bitcoin's technology to incorporate that into like a high school transcript? Or what, what was that? What was it about Bitcoin 
that uh, sparked that because right now, like most people understand it as a use case for like money and sound money and holding um, value. But I think more recently now it's becoming more or like recognized as a means of holding information along with just value. So what were right. you thinking in that time period, I guess, before yeah, so Ethereum? There, there's a lot to unpack here. So um, so first, just that concept, getting that a high school transcript is a ledger of accounts. And so mm-hmm. then you start making the parallels. Well, the the issue is that our governments, because they have the printing press not tied to gold standard, they just print money because they have their pet pro. You know, they, they can't yes. help but print money. And then you fiat money starts debasing. Well, same thing with credits. Every mayor wants the graduation rate to tick upwards. You don't want education to be going downwards during your term. So you print out credits, you give out credits. And so to the point that people can graduate high school without knowing how to read or write, because yeah. unless you go to one of the schools that has a brand name, unless you went to the right elementary school, and went to the right middle school, got to the right high school that has a brand on it, your transcript is meaningless. And so you have to take these SAT tests and these AP tests and these, or the SAT tests. Don't remind so me of those SAT tests. I was not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that all that fun. crap is, is compensating for the fact that our transcripts are totally, totally, totally void of any information. Um, because the incentives are driving everybody toward printing fiat credits, right? And so I started thinking, what if we could decentralize the definition of a credit and really making it make it about project-based learning, not teaching to test, but teaching to project-based learning, which is nothing new. Project-based learning has been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. This teaching to test has only been around for 150 years, and that's kind of now going to die out. We're going back to ancient oral traditions, ancient learning, the way a baby learns. We're going back to very basic ways and how the brain works. Um, and then there's the whole piece of the, it, it turns out that it's much bigger than education, right? I thought I was going to transform education and put credits in the hands of uh, educators and take the politicians and the adult interests and the unions out of the loop. Um, but it turns out that because we're in an attention economy, right? And because jobs are ending and now there's this new work loop where our attention is the resource that everybody's fighting over, it turns out that education is at the foundation of our economy in a digital world. And so the the communities that can learn how to be producers rather than consumers, they can learn to manage their attention with mindfulness, with work ethic, and learn to produce something content-wise that other people want to watch are the ones that are going to eat everybody else's lunch. And so academic capital, in a sense, becomes the leading indicator of economic success. And so here we are again, I went into education and came back around out in economics. And so we started realizing this is much bigger, the implications of a of a uh, blockchain-based, a Bitcoin-like high school transcript um, ends up creating a set of data that mm-hmm. is much higher quality than standardized test data. Standardized test data measures how good you are at drop-down lists and short answer questions, which is what AI already does well. Yeah. So essentially, we're measuring how well our kids are going to be, uh, how, how well they're going to do at jobs that no longer exist, right? So it's a totally terrible, even, <laughs> even rich kids at the best schools are finding that when they hit the work world, they're not ready. Yeah. And so I, as a principal, was saying, what world are my kids going to graduate into and how to prepare them for that? And it turns out it's that it's that opioid dopamine cycle. How do we get them hooked on learning to be lifelong learners and then to be producers of content? Um, and so the digit and it turns out the highest leverage play is to focus just on 11th and 12th grade in that high school transcript. Because what happens is if you transform that high school transcript and the incentives, I'm big about incentives. Yeah. If you change the incentives that everybody's building toward, then K through 10 all build toward trying to get kids to get these gold standard high school credits that are project-based that actually predict how well you're going to do in the digital economy. So, so we realized that we're going to transform the whole system by creating a blockchain-based transcript app. So how would you, um, like what kind of 
project would it be? So right now, as we understand, there's math, social studies, history, um, science, physical education. How, how would that, I mean, again, for me, that's how I learned. That's how I, like, I don't yeah. have a hard time understanding how could you teach uh, thousands and millions of students all over, at least the United States, in a scalable way, but in a, but with projects. How, what, what would my day look like as a student in high school? Yeah. So the, the first two years of high school, there might be some, uh, it might be somewhat similar where you might need to learn them skills for uh, digital literacy, which is audio and video, basically. I mean, there's some visual, but basically digital literacy is not pen and paper anymore. It's, you know, um, audio and video production. So you might need to learn those skills. You might need to get credibility within the community to be able to go out in the field. But basically by 11th grade, the goal is that your parents sign a permission slip that says, hey, my child, I trust them to be out of the building whenever they want, open permission slip all year round, whenever they want to go. So then the 11th and 12th grade, what you're doing each month, instead of taking six classes at a time, if you only take one class per month, you actually earn more credits than the way they do right now with six credits at a time because they're actually 10 months in the academic year. So you actually get 10 credits if you do one credit at a time. Mm -hmm. So you go deep and each credit starts off, it's inverted. You know how we, our classes right now, you have a, you know, a bunch of class, do a bunch of worksheets, whatever, and then you cram for a test at the end. This is inverted. You cram for a test at the beginning to get into the credit to show that you have some content knowledge. And that's where the credit begins. Now you start taking that content and asking questions. So what would it look like? You could be um, for humanities courses or politics courses. Instead of learning about it, you could go to a political rally. You do some research about the background. You prepare some questions. You go with your phone as a microphone. You interview people. You come back. You edit it together. And each credit is one 10-minute piece of audio or video. That's what a credit is. You upload it to the platform. And there's three credit experts on the platform that that decide if your credit um, earned a credit, if your if your uh, piece of media earned a credit. And so it's not your teacher. You can't bat your eyes at them. You can't mess with them. You have to do three versions. So it's all about academic skills. It's like going to the gym. You have to practice. You have to show mm -hmm. that you did, you did it a few times. Um, so if you're practicing active listening or whatever the skill, whatever the academic skill is, you're showing that you're practicing over the course of the month and getting better at it as your interviews, as your podcasts go. And at the end, you're going to compile kind of the best of 10 minutes. Um, and that editing process, what I found with my kids are very powerful metacognitively. So what it looks like is you at the beginning, learn a lot. You learn stuff pretty quickly and yeah. then you scan and, and ask questions and you choose somewhere to dive deep. And then you do a deep hyper-local reporting on that subject in humanities. It might be interviewing people in your community, it might be going to a rally, whatever it is. I might be reporting on the foster care system from inside, but it involves research, writing, and but really we're looking at skills, not content. So the kids study the content that interests them and we give them maybe a bag of content to kind of give guidelines. Yeah. Now in science and math, it's a little different. If you know Khan Academy, do you know what that is? Yep, I've heard of Khan Academy. So imagine if Khan Academy was by students for students instead of some dude making it for everybody. Imagine if students were making pieces for each other. So for mathematical topics and some science, some science you can do like NPR has some science podcasts. So you could do some podcasting about science, but some of the science is a little more math heavy. And so then you would yeah. just be explaining it to the next generation. And then kids would follow the older kids that they really like and so the younger kids see these older kids out of the building reporting on things coming back to edit and you need much fewer resources for kids when they gain that level of independence when they become producers the resources you need as a high school principal are much less so you can actually double the amount of teachers you have in ninth and tenth grade and really make sure they get those skills and give them the attention and help them and so that they can get by 11th grade um, out into the world doing these recordings and editing and learning all those skills and then 11th to 12th grade they're really focused on getting these 10 credits per year and that's all they have is 10 credits for two years. We Our transcript only holds 20 credits. You can't have more. You can't, you know, that's it. And so it's your 20 best credits you end up putting on there. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what colleges and universities, there's kind of a proof of work. Not only do they see your transcript, but there's a QR code next to each credit and they can scan and see the work that, that led to that credit, right? And so if any credit starts allowing crap work to earn a credit, that credit will lose value and the principals will stop allowing it for credit or the school districts um, or Harvard won't accept it as, you know, and so yeah. it, it's, and then imagine if you are a podcaster and you say, hey, I really think young people should um, study this or have an experience doing this and you design a credit because you want young people to learn something about the digital economy, about how their attention is being captured about whatever it is, and you design a credit. And then if it goes viral, you have thousands of kids at all these high schools going out and reporting on the credit you created. And the cool part is as a podcaster, you get exclusive rights to all that media that comes back at you from these kids. So if you're a public radio station, you put out a challenge, thousands of kids all over the country then respond to it, upload pieces, three teachers then screen it. And you can then just screen by which ones earned a credit. So you don't have to see the crappy ones. You only get the gold standard work and so you have this stream of high quality youth content from, you know, so like I said, foster care, if somebody wants to study the foster care system. Hey, kids, if you're in foster care, here's a here's a credit for you. Right. And then we get kids reporting about the system from inside and learning about the system that they're in. So they learn about foster care, which they might not have. So there's all these opportunities to engage young people as reporters. And in the in right now, the local media market is barren. Right. So hyper local journalism will actually be coming from our high schools with these credits. Interesting. So, I mean, that's all. That's great that the. um it's a decentralized method where students can feel free to uh, do what they believe and do what they love, follow the topics they love to listen to and follow. Because, yes, I mean, not everyone's interested in the same thing. Some kids are more based on art and creative side of drawing and writing. And some other kids are more interested in like science based things and math. And there's some other kids are just love to expose. Um, it's good that you get to expose them to what they really love to do and by doing that they get to also tap into things that they probably wouldn't have done on their own like writing because even though you are studying math you still have to explain it and talk about it so you still are forced to learn about how to speak properly how to use the right words the right grammar and publish a report uh with literature versus just talking about it so that, that's good that right. kind of unknowingly forced them to see the other side of the spectrum too or use the other side of their brain yeah um but I guess for them, it's this is again in high school. But then, how is it going to work for them in after high school if they graduate and want to move to a college? I know you were briefly speaking about the college. Look at their curriculum, look at their transcript, scan their QR code, and see what they've done and published. Um, how how would that? But like, I mean, currently college isn't looking at school that way. They still have their standard curriculum. You have to follow these courses in order to become an engineer. You have to follow these courses to become uh, a business major or learn something with uh, English or reading or history, whatever it is. How, how do you get the college to say this person can now follow the curriculum that we still have that standard? And it's probably a little bit harder to change an old college like Harvard versus those new um, online colleges that are all digital. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. So I don't. I don't know about transferring college itself, but there's what what this changes is how universities interface with high schools. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have this database available to them. So instead of asking students to pay an, a, a fee and do an essay and sue an application, mm-hmm. they can actually proactively mine the data and say, hey, we're looking for a student who might be in a community where other students aren't high achieving, but they are whatever. They can set some criteria and screen and find kids and then proactively offer them admissions for kids that are doing outstanding work in whatever, whatever type of student, whatever profile student they're looking for. Mm-hmm. They can actually go out and actively recruit students because on this platform, you can actually see which students are doing what work. Um, and there's still, every student is still going to have to do a math credit 
and you know do a social studies grade, there's going to be still the same coverage of content of it's, it's skills really of of mathematical skills and scientific thinking skills um, and reasoning. You still because we have kids captive in K through 12, we're still going to make sure that they learn all those different types of thinking, and they'll find which ones resonate with them. And they always have electives and things like that. And when you work on projects with other students, you might be the front person on camera and somebody else might be doing the research and somebody else might be doing the tech and engineering, right? You'll find your specialty, but you have to be involved in projects in the different subject areas. When they get, so universities right now have this issue that they're starting to realize that these standardized tests are crap and they don't measure anything. Yeah. And so they're starting to be test free. So now you don't need to have a college essay. They don't need to have all these admissions officers reading these essays. We have the credit experts who read and screen and find only the top quality work. And so we're providing with gold standard high school credits, we're providing universities an opportunity to change where they spend money in admissions and really invest in the young people who have shown that they're going to do well in the digital economy. Now, what they do with that when they get to college, I think the kids are going to transform the universities from within because they will now know how to podcast and know how to make videos. And they won't just make research papers. They'll say, hey, teacher, do you mind if I make a, you know, a video about this? And the teachers, some mm -hmm. of them will say yes, some of them will say no, you still have to do research. But if they show them how much scripting they do and how much research and their references and right, if they learn the academic skills, the universities will leverage those skills and the students will use them. But you do, they do have to be gold standard. The bar has to be high so that when you get to universities and when you, the universities look at these credits, they see that these kids are academic. These are academic credits. Yeah. It's not likes, it's not popularity. These kids have done academic work as opposed to right now, which is teaching the test, right? When we, the, will this be on the test is what every student is asking, but it's also what every teacher is asking because that's how they're evaluated, right? Gotcha. And they only want to teach what's going to be on the test. And when we get rid of that and let teachers teach what matters to human beings in this day and age, you're going to get kids that are much wiser and much more ready for university and thinking in much deeper ways. I think actually there's a lot of um, Harvard Business School did a study. There's a lot of universities and, and business schools that are saying our kids don't have the critical thinking skills and kids coming with these credits, we believe will will have those critical thinking skills. So universities will start saying, hey, if you earn these gold standard credits, especially this cre particular credit and this credit and that credit, we think you have the critical thinking for Harvard. So I think schools like Harvard will actually really appreciate having students do these very difficult, high quality gold standard credits instead of taking something like an AP exam. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And um, then at what point, I guess the app that you're building is making this easy and intuitive for students and schools to view and look at. So um, how are you incorporating, or I guess what blockchain, what type of blockchain technology are you incorporating in this application? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are, we are a, um, the way the organization is built, we don't want to take venture capital because then we have a high time preference because the money's burning. Yeah. We want to really focus on gold standard high school credits. I've been doing this for 20 years in schools and until NFTs came out, nobody knew what I was talking about and the pandemic. Yeah. Now suddenly... I say NFT and everybody totally understands yeah. that media and, and capital are merging. And when I explain what academic capital is as an NFT, as a non-transferable NFT, because students can't give it to their buddy to help them graduate, it's kind of a dumbed down NFT. But the, so the concept of an NFT is really our, the high school transcript will become a wallet of NFTs. And we will crowdsource the creation of credits to podcasters, to universities. Anybody who wants to design a credit will be able to design their own credit and will get some really innovative credits that go viral on the platform. But we're counting on the crowdsourcing, the community to find the genius in these new types of credits. And then school districts will have to choose which ones they align with. And maybe Harvard will say, hey, I give my staff approval to this. So that New York City then says, hey, I'll take all the Harvard credits for sure. Yeah. Right. So there's going to be some, um, you know, th there's going to be some capital that you need to show that your credits have, uh, you know, have academic value to be to earn that academic capital. Um, 
in terms of blockchain, we actually, blockchain engineers right now are so hard to get and they're so expensive yep. that we don't have any on the team. But the way the team, we all have day jobs. Um, mm -hmm. I, I won't have a day job soon, but I still have, I'm still an active high school principal for now. I resigned, so my last day is in January, but the rest of the team have day jobs. And then we work with university students that have internship hours as part of their university. So they have a certain awesome. number of internship hours they have to do. So we mentor the in college interns to do the work to build the platform. And then they pitch to high school students to then do the media work with teachers. So we are looking for um, a, some blockchain people that can mentor. And all they have to do is they would have to mentor college students that are interested in blockchain to figure out what partners to work with in the blockchain space. Right now, the way we're doing the blockchain is we're simulating, it's all in centralized databases um, and we're, until we get through proof of concept. The app itself won't be live to the public until late 2022. We'll okay. have a beta out in the first months of next year, but we'll be only testing with a few schools here in the Bronx. Um, and so it's, it's a little development. So we, we probably have over a year before we need an actual blockchain to plug into. Yeah. Um, but we know how it works and we have the specs, kind of the white paper or the light paper we have uh, finished. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of um, then seeing. And I think with um, uh, with Taproot coming out, I have a lot of hope. I'm a Bitcoin maximalist mostly. It's I have fine. some crypto, other crypto, but I would love to have. So it's, it's going to be an NFT platform. Okay. And the question is... Um, which NFT, how do we build these NFTs? I'd all, I'm also very interested in uh, Luna and Terra's Luna platform. I think okay. they're starting to work with NFTs. So I think over the next six to eight months, the the, industry, the NFT space is going to um, start you know, settling down. The dust is going to start clearing. And I think education, these high school transcript and these youth productions are going to be kind of the uh, killer app on NFTs that nobody saw coming. Yes, that's, that's interesting because, yeah, of course, I mean, if you tell a student now in high school, I think they're pretty caught up with current uh technology and what's going on um you're probably all pretty familiar with nfts and bitcoin and whatever other <laughs> projects there are out there so they'll probably be on board like oh i can create my own nft which is my own work right. my own work is and there's an incentive for them on this mm -hmm. platform that if they um so you can mint one of these nfts and that's a credit and that's fine that's anybody can do that but if a bunch of students can put a block of these credits together that's as diverse as their city, so it's not all rich white kids, mm -hmm. that it's as diverse socioeconomically, and they can put together a bunch of these already approved NFTs into a block, they get 25 years of kind of a basic income um, in our token, disperse them. That's kind of our, um, that's how we're going to get these tokens out is into the wallet of young people who have shown that they're ready for the digital economy. We're investing in them. Um, so there's also incentive for kids like, hey, if, if I can do this and if I can coordinate with other schools in other neighborhoods and I can meet kids that are not like me in a poor neighborhood, a rich neighborhood, um, I can actually we can all all get together and make a block. And then we all get 25 years of money from it. Mm -hmm. So there's an incentive to deal with diversity in our schools. That's, yeah, it's, I think it's also very important to for kids to understand like, yeah, diversity will help you advance together. Like it's, exactly. you're getting such different types of people talking about different types of subjects, things you never think about because you haven't experienced that type of lifestyle yet. Exactly. Um, that's, that's amazing. That's true learning. Learning mm -hmm. from people who don't think like you. Right now, our schools isolate kids to be with kids that grew up just like them and they don't learn how to think. And, and then they get out of school and somebody challenges them and they just, they don't, that's why world. we have all these arguments and we can't talk to each other because nobody has learned how to do the critical thinking and discussion to deal with people that think differently than them. So exactly. we have Trump people and liberals that don't know how to talk to each other but they're saying both valid things, but they can't even hear each other because they haven't been trained to do that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. And they just sometimes just open your ear a little bit and just listen. Yeah, you don't have to agree either. It can be completely wrong, but at least you listen right. to why they are wrong. And uh, being a reporter is that. These yeah. kids will be out with microphones listening and then they're going to have to 
do the voiceover and they're going to have to edit it down. So they're still going to have their imprint on it, but they're going to have to have listened at least to another sign. Exactly. So now, um, obviously, maybe a few years ago, this would have been harder to pitch because, again, everything was uh, in class, in, in person. Uh, COVID-19 came along. A lot of students went remote. I've heard a lot of uh, cousins who are in high school or middle school, they're just like on their laptops and Zooming or using whatever video conferencing platform to just take a class. And to me, that's like, I don't know how much I can listen to a teacher on a video call. It's kind of it's boring in class. I'm sure it's boring on a laptop. And kids are smart. They know how to get around technology behind a teacher's right. back. I mean, I used to be able to do like, uh, in my high school class, I was in a computer class and I would do like, use a command prompt to send messages to my friends in different exactly. computer rooms. It was like fun. You, could, you can do a lot of different things. You learn more by subverting the teacher than you did by listening to the teacher. Exactly. And now if you give the power back to the like to the kids, like, hey, the, here's tech. Go nuts. Have fun. Let us know what you've created. There's no, there's no holding back. Um, so how, how has, I guess, this past year really helped push along remote learning and remote understanding? Yeah. I think that um, parents got to see what their children's education looks like and how they're being uh, that the consumer education, how they're being fed. And especially when it's coming over Zoom, um, you know, our current model of education is that you pour stuff into kids and then measure what comes out. Yeah. And that's the opposite of education. Education, even the word means to elucidate, to bring out from the child, their thinking and their curiosity, their passion. It's against how our brain learns and it's against how babies learn. Right? And it's, it's totally this industrial model of trying to make us into robots is totally contrary. So I think it was exposed and everybody saw, oh, wow, this industrial model is actually painful and it doesn't work. And so then some people discover for themselves, wait, I need my young person to be creating something, yeah. not just consuming this stuff. Um, and so a lot of people, when I, like I said, I've been doing this for, you know, since 1999 for 20 years. And all of a sudden, everybody understands what I'm talking about. I talked to anybody that was home during the pandemic with their kids. And they, they, I don't have to say very much, they get it right away. Where in the past, they might have assumed Question that things it. were happening in school or right. They just didn't know how how much this centralized top-down structure is is not is trying to make robots, not humans. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have a real opportunity now to um, engage the parents where they wouldn't have been. I think the kids will get this, but the parents would have been harder before the pandemic. Now the parents get it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely something that's... I think force upon everyone to learn and understand how powerful technology is and not just that, but how much you can do on your own at home. There's no need to feel like you have to be somewhere in person to get something done. It's really up to the person themselves to accomplish a task. Right. What are you curious about? And we need to give, the, there needs to be some guide rails. So it might be that the, that the teacher gives them kind of a library of resources, like choose among these, but then they choose what rabbit holes they want to follow. Like they choose, they and the questions they're answering for homework are their questions, not mm -hmm. the teacher's questions, right? It's a totally different approach. And it's inversion, just the same way that inversion is happening to corporations, where the teacher now becomes somebody who's good at listening rather than yeah. speaking, right? It's that, in, it's that inversion of, of the guy, and, and students start having a real audience. I know in my school, um, what teachers would say to me, I've never seen this side of these kids. I've never seen these kids be so academic until they would make these videos that the whole school would watch together. And because they had all their classmates, kids just want to look good like the rest of us, right? Yeah. Especially in front of their classmates. So they would really put their best foot forward. And we started getting this nerd culture of students wanting to make the best, you know, the, the video that really taught you something and that made them look good academically. And because we made it academic, they, that they, they didn't have a choice, you know? And so we have kids captive for these years, K through 12. And until now, the, the, 
corporations have been educating our kids with advertising better than our schools have been educating our kids. But and, you know, everybody's trying to get a, a driving a self-driving car so you can lock people in a box and feed them content and right and yeah. control their thinking and right and, and start to influence them to buy stuff or or feed them things that they might be interested in. And right. But we have in, in a demo in this democracy, we have this opportunity with kids, not 40 minutes in the commute. We have them for you know whatever that is, how many, you know, K through 12, 12, 13, 14 years. We have them captive where we can teach them to use their attention. So it's this huge opportunity mm -hmm. to take charge and be the whoever, if this happens in America or somewhere else, whoever does this will totally dominate the digital world if we start using that time to teach kids about their attention, teach kids about mindfulness, teach kids about how to use their attention as their value proposition and not give it to these screens whenever they bing or ding or, you know. And so it's it's a massive, massive, massive opportunity to, um, to have kids, uh, you know, we, we, we can force them to learn academic skills, which then in the rest of their life they will have and they will use when it's appropriate. Exactly. And it's like also preparing them for the creative gig economy. Like that's where the whole exactly. everything is heading towards now anyways. Like there's a lot of, of course, jobs that would always be needed where it's uh, more routine and uh, standard. But as you can see, people are publishing more and more content out every day. It's become increasing. I mean, I even started this podcast, like publishing creative useful content is the future that's what will drive a country to succeed is like how can you help each other how can you help with creative uh standards so yeah i'm excited for that yeah, I think yeah you're an educator needed. and what you said from 2015 from sorry 2005 to 2015 94 of jobs were contractor temporary mm -hmm. right and at this point 40 percent of americans are um in contingent jobs so temps or you know on-call workers so the, the the job where you punch in, punch out and get a salary and benefits, that's gone. Now we're each a brand, right? Exactly. And and there's no way around that. And so you there's you if we're gonna educate our kids to be successful and not be the consumers that are dominated by the, you know, apps created by whoever is controlling us, if we're gonna be the ones taking control, we have to be producing and we have to be um, we have to have work ethic, frankly, right? And so and that comes from being a worker, not having a job. Exactly. Do you think um, you would be able to accomplish this if it wasn't due to cryptocurrency and NFTs and Bitcoin coming into your life? Do you think this is something you'd probably still be doing now no matter what and you just probably do it in a more traditional manner of databases and decentralized like IPFSs? Yeah, no. So I would be doing it at one school the way I has been for 20 years. It's been working at one school. We blow everybody away. You walk into the school, it's magic. Kids walk up to you. Right when we had high level people visit the school and kids would walk up with a microphone interview that like people visiting the school were like, Oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. And they would come to our showcase events and see the films like, wow, these are really good academic pieces. So I would be doing it in one community here in Harlem and I would be loving it. And I would not be looking any further. I never thought it would be going further. The and the creation of the blockchain first that kind of opened my mind and then NFTs in particular is what allowed other people to believe this was possible and had a team come to me and say, Hey, let's, um, you know, let's scale what you're doing and the difference you're making. Mm -hmm. um, and had that had the rest of the world not come and seen and and that convergence of what I was already doing with NFTs um, on that side, I would have never found a community to build this with me the way they are. And the other side, I became independently wealthy through hodling Bitcoin. Yeah. And so I'm now quitting my job as a principal to work on this full time. And had it not been for Bitcoin, I would not be doing that. Right. So the two sides, one is my funding. And two is the acceptance and the willingness when I say those three letters, NFT, that people are like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas for 20 years, I talk about media and capital and people are like, what are you talking about, <laughs> dude? You know, like, shut up. Let me come into your school. That sounds cool. But don't talk to me about anything else. So nobody was open to high school transcript that could challenge the old transcript until now. Mm -hmm.
That's the thing. When people hear NFTs, I usually think about, oh, a valuable JPEG or some type of financial incentive. Everything is highly involved with you know money. How much fiat is this worth? But people forget NFTs can be used for so much more. This is not strictly just something you can buy an expensive piece of art. This is yeah. how you can own a personal asset as yours and keep it forever and then show it amongst anyone else. And they all know it's confirmed and owned by you. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. But I mean, I'm glad you're using that route for NFTs. That, yeah, for I, I hate where NFTs are right now. The, 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 um, but it's early, right? Whenever anything's early, yeah. it's a lot of scammers, a lot of you know people wanting money. It's a lot of people just with, you know, with, it's a lot of craziness. But I'm, I see under the surface projects like mine building. And I'm like a few years from now, people don't know what's coming, right? Um, so I'm excited about a space that I'm not very proud of right now. <laughs> so I guess um, I ask that question. So what is your crypto pet peeve being there for so long and yeah, okay. So I, I've got one pet peeve <laughs> that's above all. I've got a few people that don't hold any Bitcoin is a pet peeve. For me. Ah, if really? you're in crypto and you hold no Bitcoin, I want to slap you. <laughs> and then people that don't hold any Bitcoin, don't hold anything like my father, right? It's like, you, I care about you, hold a little bit, hold 1%, I don't care, hold a little bit of Bitcoin. So anybody that doesn't hold any Bitcoin, um, the fact that I can't communicate to them uh -huh. well enough, I can't, it's really, I can't listen to them and hear their world. I can't get into their world enough <laughs> to be able to explain to them why this is so important. That's a pet peeve because I blame myself, anybody in my life that doesn't hold a little Bitcoin. Um, so that's my first pet peeve is people that just don't, that hold zero. Um, yeah. 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 And it's not, um, that's the thing. People will see that Bitcoin's worth what, 50,000, something like that right now. You don't have to buy a whole one at all. No. You can pay yeah. $1. Yeah. But it is like a, it is a scary factor. Like, I, I mean, everyone thinks they're so late into the game with Bitcoin, Ethereum, no. whatever other coins there are. Everyone thinks Doge is the next one to become <laughs> a multimillionaire, but it's, it always goes back down to education with not just yep. um, understanding money and also understanding what type of technology you're investing into and how that technology can help. So yeah, I'm glad that you are an advocate for pushing Bitcoin. I'm glad that you're um, pushing people to understand the blockchain, what they're trying to invest in. So it is important, definitely needed. Um, and I know, I, I mean, I do know some people who dumped all their Bitcoin for Ethereum. So that's also, <laughs> I'm sure you guys have had butt heads before, but either, yeah, yeah. either way, I mean, I'm um, I love both. It's causing innovation, and I'm a fan of innovation. We need it, and I love the work that Ethereans are doing. Um, I don't. I think that's the dot com bubble kind of stuff. It's mm -hmm. we need to get that innovation out, so it needs to happen. I'm not against it, but um, and I, if you're building it again, if you're a producer, great. But if you're a consumer and you don't study enough um, and you put your money in, I'm just scared that all the exchanges are and all these people using leverage and all this stuff that it, ultimately it's just going to keep the rich rich and the poor poor. Yep. Um, and that's what makes me worry because then we're going to end up with blood in the streets, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then as with anything, only invest what you're willing to lose. <laughs> right. But I guess, I guess personally for me, I, I believe cryptocurrency will be the future. So um, yeah. I've made two big investments outside of Bitcoin, um, Binance um, in 2018 mm -hmm. and then Luna now. Um, and I, the, and my theory, I, I don't, this is not financial advice, obviously. Yeah, I. The only reason I buy something other than Bitcoin is for the same reason I buy Bitcoin. If I see a lot of people using it, and I want to use it. If those two things converge, like, oh, there's, so being uh, Luna, there's a ton of people agree. Mm -hmm. He's got a huge base of already, not, not users someday, not potential, in current users. And then I wanted to use the anchor protocol, 20% interest, right? I'm about to retire and I need to find a source of income. I can park some UST in there and get 20% interest. 
like, Jesus, I want to use that. And that's when I said, wait, I'm thinking about using it. And he has all these people. Yep. Maybe there's a shot at this one. The same thing with Binance. <laughs> I was like, this, you know, the exchange, I don't, I don't pay fees. If I do in BNB, right? You're late. I, I own BNB suddenly. I was like, how did that happen? I'm a Bitcoin maxi. What am I doing with BNB? And that suddenly triggered something. Wait, there must be other people like me. And we'll each just hold a little bit so we don't pay fees. Oh, that's but smart. There it is, right? So that's the investment while, other side. things come along. That's an investment yeah. side in your head. That's good. Right, right. And it's fun to play and it's fun to gamble and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. um, the safe, you know, th the other pet peeve I have is when people buy Bitcoin and then they start worrying about price changes. Or I always tell them, if you're going to buy, it's a five-year thing. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like, don't touch it for five years. I don't care what happens for five years. You don't touch it. Um, and people that buy it and then it dips. So you're not going to find the exact bottom. You think you're some genius? No. Right? Of yeah. course, you're going to lose money. But that's so... All those things of the on how hard the onboarding is my pet peeve is just it's I I want or I want the transfer of well we're going whether we like it or not I'm not saying the future digital future is going to be better than the industrial past mm -hmm. I don't know it's going to be up to us but I know it's happening right this this transition from jobs to work the temporary the end of, or all that stuff is happening whether we want it or not inversion is happening and there's going to be this opportunity for a transfer of wealth. And I'm hoping that the transfer of wealth doesn't go from one small group of rich people to a new small group of rich people. I yeah, hope enough it's... of us buy in so that we each get a little piece of it. Yeah, and that's a tough part because, of course, people oh, yeah. who do have money can invest more earlier on, take a bigger risk. And also just as it grows, they become even much more wealthy. So yeah, it or is if you own an exchange, mm -hmm. you make money when people when it's going up and when it's going down. Both that's, times people are trading. That's why I didn't trust BNB. I got I didn't trust right. Binance. Like I didn't I didn't want to be involved with that one. I was like, this is this is too like uh, I think they I think they did a lot of copycat with uh, Ethereum first off, yes. and just like I mean, I get as an investment tool, sure, invest in it, make your money, leave, great. But for a long term, I'm like I don't know, like it's kind of risky for me. But I'm I a agree. very conservative like uh, investor, so I'm like. Bitcoin, Ethereum, let's buy whatever I can afford and hope well, the best is, in the future. You know, they, they say that people that dead people have the best earnings because they're, you know, <laughs> just leaving so, it there. right. I think that's the best way that conservative approach where you study something, you get in and then you, you know, set it and forget it is mm -hmm. really um, how you make money long term, how you're going to have generational wealth, whereas other people are going to have a lot of stress and a lot of ups and downs and end up with nothing. Mm hmm. So um, let's see. So back to um, understanding more about what you're doing with your app and developing it with uh, blockchain technology. Right now, how are you going about it? Because I know, I mean, people think like, oh, right when you start a company, it goes right into blockchain, right into digital world. You put everything on the block. It's like, you can't do that. It's too expensive. It's too hard. You can't get everyone on that same boat. Yeah. There has to be some type of centralized beginning to yes. then decentralize it. So do you have yes. any type of like little roadmap that you can share? Yeah. So, um, so right now we're onboarding um, cohorts of college interns that are going to start explaining the platform to high school students. They're going to make videos, short videos, podcasts, explaining the platform. So they're going to study. They're going to study for my book, essentially, um, which is where all the ideas are captured. Um, and so that's, the, that's this current phase. Um, then we have in the summer of 2022, we have the Genesis block happening. So that's mm -hmm. going to be the first cohort of high school students that are going to create the first um, set of media on the platform. Um, and we so we will have the first set of credits published on the platform um, by March of 2022. And then in the summer of 2022, the first group of students and teachers on the platform with the Genesis block. Mm -hmm. And then what happens after that is we start because um, if you so we pay teachers 180 bucks an hour to be one of these credit experts to evaluate incoming work. So they can stay teachers in the classroom, but on the app at night and on weekends, they can earn some extra money um, to, you know, to, so that they don't have to become administrators and leave. If they love teaching. They can stay in teaching. Um, or if you're a podcaster and you help mentor a few kids to earn these credits, you can then make 180 bucks an hour as a side hustle while you're getting your podcast off the ground. Um, so we're making, we're setting up incentives. 
And so what has to happen if, is if I open the floodgates and say, hey, guys, make 180 bucks an hour. If you can qualify for this, people will come on and then there's only going to be one piece for them to grade every six months. They're going to say, this is crap. So we have to have an invite only where we can inject people onto the platform. So at the end, in September 2022, we're, hope, we're hoping to start a, a PR campaign so that our waiting lists get deep. And mm-hmm. then we can start injecting people on to match each other. And as much as as long as we have the students to match the credit experts and the credits on the platform to interest the teachers and the students, um, we'll slowly start onboarding more credit studios who write the credits, more credit experts who evaluate the credits and more students who generate the content. Um, and so it's going to be, a, it, it, I think at first, it's a very slow, only working with a few consortiums. We're starting with schools that haven't used standardized testing in decades, that opted out okay. of t- standardized testing way before everybody else. They're the leaders and we're acknowledging and respect and getting them the resources first. Um, and so once by the end of 2022, we should be getting to the point that we're adding entire schools and eventually entire districts on and we can onboard faster. Um, so that's kind of the roadmap how we intend by 2023 to have an app that um, is is pretty much feels open once there's enough liquidity in terms of uh, graders and students and credits um, that people can jump on it and, and access it without uh, limitations. Awesome. I'm excited for that. It's going to I'm hopefully everything goes smoothly and you get a lot of people on board because that does sound a pretty good incentive, 180 bucks an hour just to right. uh, help and that, out. And, and I think that's the smallest incentive, the incentive for the college students to give their internship credits. They get a yeah. pre-mine of the coin that hasn't launched yet, mm-hmm. right? So they get a pre-mine based on their contribution during their internship. So the way that works is they propose a project when they become interns, they learn about the platform, um, they do some work with me. Once they understand it, they say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to make a podcast or a video explaining this to teachers and mm-hmm. they propose it. The community accepts their project and tells them how much of the pre-mine they get for that work. And then once they finish that work and submit it, once it's approved, they get that pre-mine. Um, and so the college interns get a huge, I think that 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 pre-mine, then once the coin is launched, is the coin that the academic capital coin that the um, young people will kind of make these blocks and mint together awesome. that they'll get as a basic income. So it will become a coin for high school students. But in building, it's a coin for college students. And so those college students, I think if we um, if we reach scale, we'll make a lot of money. So that's, I mean, that's good. Yeah, that's a good incentive. And so you're also launching your own uh, coin. It's One also- coin that will be controlled by the students. That will be that, that for groups of okay. students that make media that's diverse, that work with each other across zip codes. Um, that's the only coin that we're making. And there's a gotcha. pre-mine for the college students. Um, and then people that are participating with us earn royalties. So for to, there's a $9 fee to initiate a credit on the platform. Mm-hmm. And that $9 fee pays all of us that help make the platform possible. So if 1% of 11th and 12th graders in the United States participate, um, that's about 80,000 users is 1%. Um, and so, uh, sorry, 800,000 users, 1%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would each be making about $150,000 a year in royalties. So it's not bad for us as well. Nice. I mean, I'm excited for you guys to yeah keep going. And I'm gonna definitely watch what you're doing, and um, I'm happy. For when, that. The, when the app comes out, there's gonna be two versions. Right? There's a free version that anybody can yeah. can browse the media and watch all of it, and there's a paid version that you can access the metadata. Where is the student? Who's the teacher? What's the school? What mm-hmm. you're the metadata then is only bought for right. universities and school districts, and so they'll pay us an annual fee to access that metadata, gotcha. and that annual fee is what pays the graders to grade the work. Nice, so that's, yeah, and then, then they'll be able to use that to determine what students would best fit in their um, course. Right, so or... they can mine that data, right? They can write, they can basically write bots to to dive into that data and find students that meet their criteria to mm-hmm. offer them um, to offer them opportunities. 
exciting stuff, no doubt. It's fun. It's fun. It's a we're 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 the tortoise that's going to beat the hare, right? We're not pre-funded. We're not moving quickly. We're moving deliberately and slowly with volunteers and that's college how a real students. startup so a, is. That's how a real startup. Yeah, is. so it's it's real slow and deliberate, but the the team we have is so amazing that mm -hmm. I have no doubt what we built is going to be remarkable. And even if we fail we're all going to have an incredible experience in the process and we're going to learn so much. Excellent. Uh, one of the last questions I want to ask, I usually ask everyone, um, what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Anytime one of my students or the actually it just happened yesterday, I, I ran into the custodian from my pro, from my old school. I live right next to the, my old school. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to spend a whole career at that building. So we moved in next door. So I was uh, walking to ships in the UPS and I saw him at a little cafe outside and it turns out that his son is now into crypto and his son was a baby. I saw him growing up. So whenever one of the kids of my employees or one of my and, and one of my former students is actually leading the, the high school credit, the um, our development team, um, he's now in his 30s. Mm -hmm. He was one of my robotics students. He was in high school. Uh, I was his teacher, his physics teacher, you know, in 20 in 2006, 2007, around there. So anytime one of these when every those are the wholesome moments for me when it's not just the big, powerful guys. Uh, those are the moments that excite me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you're working on. Thank you for sharing that moment. And um, I'm excited to see how you go on from, from here on out. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love your show. Thank you. See everybody.